Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. I've got my engineer, Dave Keita, back with me today. Hi, Dave. It's good to have you back. <laughs> We're here. Great to be here, Doc. Yeah, great. We're here every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain and online at drpegradio.com. And we're providing information about mental health, wellness, and safety for living well. And our topic touches on all three of those today. Uh, it's estimated that there have been over 300 school shootings since the Sandy Hooks shooting in 2012. And with all of the school shootings taking place, there are so many different opinions about how to keep our children safe at school. But what does the research say are the best practices in school safety? And is there a ro role that uh, states can play in establishing best practice guidelines? To help us explore these questions and explain what those best practices are for a 21st century safe school, I have with me today national safety and security expert Michael Yorio. And he'll be joined later in the program by high school student Alan Liu, and he'll provide a student's perspective on school safety. We'll hear from both Michael and Alan in just a moment, but first we're brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education training and has the only program of its kind with an accredited CEU. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to SSIGuardian.com. Tell them you heard about them from Dr. Pegg. And if you missed last week's episode, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And you can also go to my website to purchase a copy of the 10th anniversary edition of my book, Do Something Different for Change. Well, since the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, there have been many calls for hardening schools and arming teachers. Um, the research by top psychologists in universities that study violence say the answer is not to harden schools, but to make them softer, so to speak, by improving the social and emotional health of students. And yes, we should increase security and preparation and planning to prepare for a school shooting. And at the same time, we should be supporting efforts to prevent school violence in the first place. Now, knowing how to respond to an active shooter at a school is important, but what if we could prevent the shooting from happening in the first place with proper training and threat assessment, social emotional learning, bullying prevention, and improving school climate? Well, experts emphasize a research-based approach that looks at all of the variables over the long term and not just a quick fix approach. And national safety and security expert Michael Yorio agrees that evidence-based school safety training is vital for a comprehensive school safety plan and that proper training will empower faculty, staff, and administrators to make the right decision during a critical incident. Michael Yorio is my guest today. Thanks so much, Michael, for being back on the program with me today. Dr. Peggy, always a pleasure. How are you today? I'm doing well today. I, I know in the past when I've had you on the show, we've always had a, a, an event, a critical incident, a, a tragic event that's happened just in the days leading up to you being on the show. But as far as I know, um, everything's um, pretty safe out there today, thank God. Um, but we want to um, still always be talking about school safety and prevention and, of course, intervention and response. Uh, and that's your area of expertise as president of SSI Guardian. So 
Let's let's just jump on into our topic, uh, which is really focusing on best practices today, Michael. Well, as Absolutely. I mentioned, yeah. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, so best practices, Dr. Peggy, as you know, that there are many, many different ideas and theories out there today regarding how we make schools safe, but it's absolutely imperative that we focus on the evidence-guided best practice-based solutions that exist today, solutions that have been proven to actually make schools safer. Quite candidly, schools don't have the luxury of trying to implement a, a, an unproven uh, strategy or product or technology that might work. Uh, we, we need to really focus on things that have been proven to be effective in the educational space. Mm -hmm. and, and, so that's, and that's really important following, I call it the post-Parkland era, uh, that, that's really important because we've seen some very odd and different things come out of the woodwork since then. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about strategies, products, and technology. So there's so many areas where someone can go down a wrong path with very good intentions but out of ignorance not not even recognizing there are best practices and evidence-based practices but kind of going with whatever's presented to them uh, even if it's with good intentions uh, so we want to make sure um, folks are listening today so that they're making decisions really life or death decisions Michael that are not based on just opinion or even the best salesperson or emotion, but really based on the research, the evidence. That's right. Uh, everybody wants schools to be safe, and, and there, there are no shortage of, of well-intentioned individuals and organizations out there uh, that are truly, and they truly believe that they do have the answer, um, but that is just not enough, quite frankly. Uh, we, we need to have best practice solutions, things that have been proven effective to work. And I don't want to sound repetitive, but I can't stress um, enough the importance of having and implementing best practice solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and our listeners are going to hear that phrase a lot today. That's what we're talking about, and it is important, and it bears repeating. Now, there's so many variables that are associated with school violence. Uh, we've seen the research that's showing that bullying, for example, is a really um, significant motive in many school attacks. Um, uh, the research shows personal grievances that can be related to school and relationships, for example, are all um, associated with the school violence that we're seeing. And because of the variety of factors and motives, uh, you say there's a need for a multifaceted approach based on best practices. We can't just focus on one thing, can we? That's right. An effective security initiative, whether it's in a school or a workplace or what have you, an effective school security initiative must be comprehensive in nature. It must include the mental and physical attributes that will enable social and emotional learning. Uh, it, it's not good enough to do one, two, or 50, 80% of the things right. Uh, if we put this into academic context, uh, if you score 60% on a test, um, that's probably not good enough to pass the course. So if we're doing 60% right in our schools when it comes to safety and security, uh, we're gonna get a failing grade. Um, so that's very important, and it's very easy for academic institutions as well as organizations, workplace, to fall into that trap of saying, you know, we're doing these things great, and, you know, we're going to address these other things next year. You don't know when these events will happen. So, and, and it's challenging without question. That's why focus is so important. You have to do all of these things 
correctly in synergy and on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The most important attribute, however, is training. And not any training, not talking about having somebody from the community uh, who is a retired whatever with a specific background, uh, but you must have evidence-based accredited professional development training that, again, addresses the mental as well as the physical components of security. You mentioned some of the threat indicators. Bullying is, in fact, the number one attributing factor of school shootings. And there are many, many other threat indicators that schools must be trained on in order to prepare and to prepare and prevent. Right. And so, again, focusing on any one issue is not going to be enough. And even if you're focusing on that thing 100% correctly, it's just one element of a, a very uh, multifaceted concern. And so speaking of training, Michael, uh, we get this all, uh, question all the time when training across the country um, inevitably, at the end of a training, someone asks a question about um, ar- arming t- teachers. Um, talk about mm-hmm. your position and SSI Guardian's position on arming teachers. We are adamantly against that, and here's why. There is no evidence that suggests arming teachers makes schools any safer. Um, it's, it's really that simple. Um, there are, in addition to that, Dr. Peggy, there are many inherent risks associated with arming teachers or any civilians, for that matter, that haven't had the appropriate training. And training does not mean that you spend a month on the range or you took 130 hours of of weapons training and weapon handling. It goes way beyond that. For law enforcement professionals, military professionals train on a daily basis. So it's not just the tactical training, it's also the psychological training. Uh, and, and individuals take on a great deal of responsibility when they decide um, to carry a loaded weapon. And you now you place that loaded weapon into a school setting on somebody who hasn't had the proper lifetime training, such as a teacher or school employee, and a lot of things can go wrong. Um, since Parkland, there, there have been a handful of um, incidents that, that support our position uh, in Seaside, California a teacher who was also a part-time police officer was giving a uh, gun safety training at the school and the weapon went off and shot into the ceiling and ricocheted and thank God nobody was seriously hurt or killed. Um, That's one example. Uh, That weapon should have never been loaded if you're doing a gun safety training course inside of a school. Another teacher in Georgia actually barricaded himself into a classroom uh, and was shooting out the windows. Again, thank God no students were killed or hurt but these things can happen, um, and it's just not a best practice. And I believe the educational community is in lockstep with us on that. Um, from what I read, the teachers' unions oppose that. Most teachers, through various surveys that I have seen, uh, overwhelmingly are opposed to that. Teachers don't want that added responsibility, recognizing it's, it's not what they do. Right, and so it's, it's not necessarily about saying there shouldn't be uh, someone who's trained, an SRO, for example, law enforcement, um, in a school with the weapon, uh, your position is against uh, arming teachers specifically. Arming teachers, arming non-law enforcement, non-military personnel. Uh, But on the topic of SROs, uh, if you have a quality, well-trained SRO, school resource officer at your school, that is a positive step. But schools need to be very, very careful not to follow 
into that false sense of security, thinking that when we have an armed school resource officer, we don't need training. We don't need classroom lockdown devices. We don't need the host of other things uh, that are greatly needed. Uh, and also expectation. Uh, one police officer, one SRO in a school campus, um, people still are going to get killed and, and hurt in an active shooter situation. It's one person spread out over a large area. Um, and if we look at Parkland, as most of us know, there was an armed deputy on site. We know the outcome. At Columbine, there were two armed guards. At Virginia Tech, there was an entire campus police force. And it did not prevent no, th these events from happening. Right. So, so again, we're looking at more than one um, solution. Uh, we're looking at a comprehensive approach. Um, I'm speaking with Michael Yorio, who's president of SSI Guardian, a national safety and security expert. And we're talking about evidence-based practices, best practices for school safety. If you'd like to give us a call, we're at 303-477-5600. Uh, Michael, you've said that school safety is a shared responsibility and that collaboration is also a key, not only um, a multifaceted approach, but collaboration with law enforcement, for example. Uh, say more about that. Collaboration is critical. Uh, collaboration during the planning stage when schools are preparing their emergency operation plans, uh, it's imperative that they do collaborate with first responders, police, fire, EMS, etc. cetera, um, that everybody is using the same communication language at least, um, if, if possible being on the same communication platform, understanding the roles and responsibilities of each individual and department in the event of a crisis, uh, how to respond to police during a school shooting is very, very important. One thing we talk about in our training, uh, if you're in a, in a school shooting, when police arrive and, and, and they're taking action and they're pursuing the threat, the absolute last thing you want to do is to approach the police officer. Uh, and some people, it, it's very emotional, right? People want to run up and thank you for saving us and try to hug the police. They don't know who anybody is. So you got to understand they're coming up, they are amped up, they are looking for that threat. Police officers have one objective and one objective only during that situation, and that is to neutralize that threat. So they are not there to help the injured, to console people. Um, that will follow after they neutralize that threat. So collaboration is very important, uh, both internally and externally. We call these folks internal and external stakeholders. Okay. And so um, with law enforcement, uh, that, that's actually part of the training is not only how to prevent uh, these occurrences, how to recognize indicators of potential violence, how to respond in an active shooter incident, and we'll talk more about best practices around those issues later, uh, but also part of the, the training that SSI Guardian offers is how to respond when law enforcement comes on the scene. Um, there little things like uh, making sure there's nothing in your hands is also an important part of the training as that can be mistaken for a weapon. Uh, we saw, I believe it was with Parkland, Michael, where uh, the assailant left the school building with the other students. And so um, had, had he still been carrying his weapon, certainly they would have identified him as the assailant. But uh, innocent uh, students who are evacuating, if they're carrying something in their hands, they could be mistaken for the assailant. I got to tell you, Dr. Peggy, that was an atypical situation where the attacker actually left the school unabated. Um, we haven't seen much of that in, 
if at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really unique, uh, but you're exactly correct. Uh, the, when you exit the school, and, and that comes later on after the uh, building has been cleared typically, sometimes not, but when you're exiting, you want to make sure that both hands are up and police will give you this command, hands up, hands up. You want to put your hands up, nothing in your hands, fingers and palms spread. The reason for that is when police see that, they know that you are not a threat. Uh, you cannot um, do any harm when your hands are in that position. You're not going to fire a weapon uh, with your elbow or your knee or any other part of your body except for your hands and your fingers. Um, and, and this comes through training because it's typically not a natural reaction to first silence your phone during a lockdown situation, but then in that crisis situation to put your phone away. Uh, we typically hold on to these things, right, because we want to communicate with our parents and our loved ones. So if you come out and you have a phone in your hand or any sort of an object, at a distance it can be perceived as a weapon. Again, understanding the situation, emotions are running high on both ends with the students, with the teachers, with the police. Everybody is amped up. Uh, And we know there's a history of police shooting folks who were not armed. And through the investigations later, it came out that the police thought that person had a weapon in their hand. More often than not, it's a cell phone. Uh, But any object could be misconstrued in that panic situation. Right. And so, again, the, the critical importance of training. I'm speaking with Michael Yorio president of SSI Guardian, national, national safety and security expert. Uh, we're talking about best practices in school safety. And when we return, we'll hear from a student on the impact of school shootings on student well-being at school. Stay with us for more on best practices in school safety. We'll be right back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. You can learn a lot about yourself and God from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise and hers when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur-of-the-moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven-year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must-read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradio.com books to purchase your copy today. 
Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Michael Yorio. He's president of SSI Guardian, national safety and security expert. Uh, Michael Yorio, thanks for being on the show again with me today. How can listeners connect with you? Always a pleasure, Dr. Peggy. We can be reached direct at SSIGuardian.com. Uh, your listeners are more than welcome to email me at michael.yorio, Y-O-R-I-O, at SSIGuardian.com, I apologize. All right, great. And I'll also have a link to Michael Yorio on my website. So if you'd like to share this interview with a friend or if you missed another episode, uh, feel free to check out the program archives at drpegradio.com. And if you'd like to join the conversation or ask Michael Yorio a question about school safety, give us a call, 303-477-5600. And so we're talking about best practices in school safety and really um, the importance of having a comprehensive approach that is supported by uh, the right training. Uh, I'd also like to bring into our conversation um, a student um, who can provide a student's perspective where, you know, all the adults and legislators and, and school administrators are always talking about how to keep safe, uh, schools safe, uh, but what do the students think about it? I'd like to introduce uh, Alan Liu, uh, who's a graduating senior and will be valedictorian at McCallie School in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he's currently an, an intern with the Hamilton County Democratic Party and has demonstrated an interest in school safety advocacy. Alan Liu, thanks so much for taking time out of your school day to be with us today. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Peggy. And I was teasing you, Alan, you've been admitted to Princeton University. I'm a Brown University graduate, so I told you I wouldn't hold it against you that you're going to Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being with us. You've met Michael Yorio uh, before. I've got him on the line as well. And we've been talking about school safety. And uh, uh, Alan, I'm, I'm really interested in... Um, uh, the impact that uh, school violence is having on young people today. Uh, how do you and your friends and your peers react uh, to the news of each new school shooting? What's been the impact of, of school violence on, on you and your peers and classmates? Absolutely. I think that one of the things that we're starting to recognize is that these acts of violence are much more ubiquitous um, than we might have believed. So we're realizing that I mean, a lot of times we like to tell ourselves that it can't be us. But now we're starting to see that these things are happening everywhere. And I think we're starting to see that the threat is very real. And so, like, a lot of my friends um, at any school um, were becoming very much aware of the potential of school violence happening, happening at any time. Like, I know during um, an event at another student's school, she said that she, she, she when she was standing outside, and she already, went, she already had noticed that a shooter could come out and shoot out the crowd um, in, in that area easily. And I think we're starting to recognize the threats that are present in our schools and that even though as much as we'd like to believe that it can't be us, um, it could it could happen to anybody. And yeah. We're very cautious of that at this point now. Mm -hmm. And, Alan, that's such a common 
sentiment, even amongst adults and educators, uh, especially the training that uh, we provide around the country, uh, there's that it can't happen here um, mentality. And I think that's that's declining for the very reasons that you described as we see it happening in the news around us. We do realize, oh my goodness, it can happen here. And you may have uh, friends and peers where it has happened. Uh, have you seen a change in, um, in, a, in students' um, willingness to go to school or students afraid to go to school? Have you seen it affect their... Uh, just their behavior and their habits and patterns in terms of um, school attendance or, or even um, um, socializing uh, at the mall, at the movie theater. We're seeing these um, violent events occurring outside of school as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, statistically, um, I'm not observing a significant change in attendance. However, I know that there definitely is some fear present. So actually, there was a threat um, out of school um, in my in my hometown, Chattanooga. So what happened is that a student had posted um, a vicious Snapchat that said something like, I have a surprise for all of you. I'm a CCA student. And what happened is that the next day, um, the school was as empty as it, as it had ever been. So over half the student body was too scared to show up because that student had posted a threat on Snapchat. And I think there's definitely very much a consciousness um, of um, the looming threat of a school violence. And so that... I guess that's kind of a testament um, to the consciousness that students are having as well as um, the fear that's becoming more present among, among the students here. So mm-hmm. I definitely would say that, yes, there is much more awareness at this point, and definitely students are taking more caution. Right, and so it's kind of really a two-edged sword is uh, fear on the one hand, but heightened awareness on the other, which gives the opportunity for students to be better prepared. Now, has your school done lockdown drills or active shooter drills? Yes, we have. And actually, um, over this was over a year ago. But we actually did have an active shooter situation um, near our school. It was off. To, it was outside of our campus, but it was like in the area surrounding our campus. There was an active, active shooter, and so we went on lockdown actually for several hours at school. And so, I know that at a lot of other schools, um, there are also there have also been lockdown drills. Um, they've become more common. And I know that a lot of students have been dismayed that. They'd have to obviously go through these procedures because and a lot of us feel that it's a fear that we should not have to live with. Mm-hmm. Well, and there is some concern that these types of drills can create anxiety in students. I've had um, a psychologist on my program talk about that, the heightened anxiety. And anecdotally, certainly, um, parents will receive texts from their students during a lockdown drill saying, we're going to die, I'm going to die, and, and they're traumatized. Um, and so uh, it certainly can have some lingering effects. Um, um, uh, Alan, I'm going to bring back Michael Yorio just for a moment so the two of you can um, can interact a bit as well. Michael, I've got Michael Yorio from uh, SSI Guardian, national safety and security expert on the line with me, in addition to Alan Liu, a student at McCallie School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Michael, what are your reactions to what you're hearing uh, Alan talk about in terms of uh, the heightened awareness, but also perhaps some fear and anxiety around uh, lockdown drills. Hey, Alan, nice to be with you again. Thanks for joining us. Great to hear your voice. Glad everything's going well. Um, I, I would say this, um, what I'm hearing Alan talk about, and we had the opportunity to speak uh, at a recent uh, event in Hamilton County, Tennessee. Um, these concerns, we see these concerns throughout the United States. Um, students are being um, for a lack of a better word, forced uh, to be more situationally aware uh, and to be more cognizant of, of the events and their surroundings. 
um, just today and there was another throttled incident. So students are taking action. Uh, now when they're seeing concerning behavior, whether it's on social media or they heard something or saw something, students are taking action and reporting these incidents, which are, enables police uh, to throttle these events. That's right. So uh, I, I commend these efforts. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about that, Alan, uh, these social media threats and posts. We'll, we're seeing them on Snapchat, on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if young people use Facebook anymore. That's for us old folks, right? But they're, <laughs> they're out there on social media that um, some of us parents haven't even heard of yet. But uh, are students more willing to embrace this philosophy of if you see something, say something? What is the school climate con- uh, concerning uh, threatening behaviors, um, posts on social media? Is it perceived as snitching? Or is it really, um, are students more aware that this is the right thing to do, as if you see something, say something? Um, I'm tempted to say that anything has changed overnight. I think that there's definitely a huge culture um, around that kind of puts a taboo, I guess, on what people believe to be snitching. At the same time, I think people now are more willing um, to report things that they do on social media. Um, so, for instance, um, one of my friends who goes to another school saw some unusual comments on an Instagram page, actually in a foreign language, but when she put into the translator, when she put into Google Translate, um, it showed a threatening comment. And so she ended up reporting that um, to the school's administration, which I believe reported it to the police. Um, and eventually the police actually um, spoke with the person who made the comments on, on Instagram. So I do think that you know, with the heightened awareness, I think it can be a good thing in that people are more willing to recognize when there is a potential threat um, and report it because I know that there are definitely, there still is a lot of hesitance um, among students to do so. And especially in the past, there definitely was a lot more in the past. And so changing that school climate is so important. We, uh, uh, Michael Yorio, you touched earlier on social emotional learning and, and bullying prevention. And um, we'll talk uh, in our next segment about some of the preventative measures uh, that are being recommended today by um, national violent, school violence prevention experts. Uh, but that school climate and social, the ability to, ability to feel safe emotionally and socially as well as physically uh, is so critically important. Uh, what kinds of, um, of uh, uh, efforts are, are your schools, is your school making or the schools of your friends making, Alan, in your observation? Do you feel like the climate is changing in terms of it feeling safer, feeling like you won't be bullied or there'll be a response from the administration if someone reports that? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer, definitely. Um, I know that with some other schools, um, when the incidents were reported, and there wasn't much transparency from their school's administration about how they were dealing with threats. And that did make a lot of students nervous because they couldn't be reassured that it was being addressed um, sufficiently. So I can't necessarily... I, I can't necessarily say that um, in terms of, like the environment at school that there's been a lot of change recently, um, but I think a lot of the change is really coming from the students. Um, I think that in terms of coming from like administration of the school, I still think that there is some hesitance um, to be transparent about the threats that might be facing a school. Um, 
and also to have dialogue with the students. I do think that there's still some hesitance there. Mm-hmm. Someone uh, shared with me a uh, video of a school board meeting where a, a parent uh, was addressing the school board and was sharing how her son was being tormented at school. He was being bullied uh, physically, uh, pushed down, hit in the head with uh, objects, and how her son had reported it to his mom, to his parents, to the school um, principal and counselors, and um, how the mom has also now reached out to the school board president and superintendent and feels that um, not enough is being done. And so it sounds like you're saying that even as as things are um, changing at school, there may not be the full transparency or even a response that students may feel is appropriate. Certainly this parent uh, didn't feel there was a, an appropriate or uh, effective response. Um, hopefully hopefully students can have a voice. Um, uh, what role do you think students can play in Im- improving school safety? And what can school student advocacy look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the first thing which you, you and I already touched on was not being afraid to recognize when there is a threat. Um, you said there definitely is a culture that does um, oppose snitching, um, or yeah, that, that does oppose snitching. But I think that um, among the student bodies, I think there definitely needs to be a greater willingness um, to. Well, first of all, I guess there needs to be a greater willingness to check out on friends, mm. um, to be on social, to be aware on social media of what's being said, and if there are any potentially dangerous comments, I think definitely report them. Um, I know that from, especially among students, there's a lot of skepticism and usually taking actions like this, but I do think that that culture does need to be changed. Um, so, you, so yeah, I don't know exactly how you get there, but that, that is my view on it. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, as long as there's a willingness, that would be the first step that students are seeing the need uh, to, if you see something, say something, to tell an adult, to, to tell a, a school official and not to perceive it as snitching. I think that really would be the first step is as much right. as we can heighten awareness of how important that is. And it really does make a difference. Uh, Michael Yorio, we've seen just so many of these uh, cases that both of you have talked about where someone's posted on social media, someone has made a comment, a threatening comment, even if it w- was a veiled threat and, and could be interpreted in different ways, there's still the potential that they could mean it, they could be serious. And so uh, we're seeing um, uh, many of these uh, incidents are thwarted because someone has uh, taken the initiative to speak up. That's right. Um, another incident not too far from Parkland, a few hours north of Ocala, Florida, um, about a week ago, there was an incident there, and a, a teacher did the absolute right thing. She remained calm. Uh, and that's one thing we stress in our advanced training. In any crisis situation, you always want to remain calm. And it's th- that pr- this particular teacher did that. She talked to this young student, and he had a gun, um, and he didn't do harm to anybody else, so she kind of talked him down, if you will. Um, a bad day, traumatic day for everybody, including this young uh, man. Uh, but in the end, no one died. So it's through these things that, you know, sometimes people think that it's lip service. I promise you it's not. Following best practice guidelines can save lives. Staying calm in a crisis situation, whether it's an active shooter, 
uh, a weather-related incident, what have you. Uh, airplane pilots, uh, they are famous for, for, for their calmness, uh, and, and the plane is on the brink of crashing, and they remain calm and, and save the day. Um, so it's very, very important that we do that. Yeah. You know, there's so many lessons we can learn from uh, from airplane uh um, policies and procedures from the hearing the safety announcement and uh, actually paying attention. We've all heard it so many times, those of us who fly a lot, it's easy to tune it out. But with some of these recent events uh, on Southwest Airlines, for example, makes me want to actually pay attention when the flight attendant starts telling what to do in the event of an emergency. Uh, but certainly that's the advantage of um, uh, repetition and uh, pr- um, practice and rehearsal is uh, mentally imaging and even looking around for where where is the nearest exit when I'm sitting on the plane. So some of those same uh, um, uh, strategies we can apply in a school setting uh, in terms of prevention, can't we? That's right. I was on a 6 a.m. Uh, flight this morning. Not too many people were paying, atten- paying attention, but maybe on the 10 a.m. they were. Uh, but you're right. It's important that we do heed uh, those sorts of guidance, uh, whether you're uh, traveling, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, wherever. Uh, we, we implore everyone in our trainings to take what they just learned and take it back to their families, to their friends, to their colleagues, and share this information, uh, especially on the situational awareness side. Absolutely. Well, um, that was the voice of Michael Yorios, National Safety and Security uh, School Safety Expert and President of SSI Guardian. And we've also been speaking with uh, high school student Alan Liu. Uh, Alan, are there any last words that you want to share before uh, we go to break? Um, I do think that, actually, I kind of just want to share and just share some comments that are made by some other students um, mm-hmm. who actually... Well, actually, they, those students were with me in the meeting with Michael Yorio back in Chattanooga um, a few weeks ago. And so I thought they had some very good insights as well. I know there is one girl that said that getting adults involved um, somehow in some way in the student culture could be very effective um, in preventing, you know, pre- preventing school violence. I think having adult involvement and having some level of adult concern is very important within schools. And there was another student who spoke about school resource officers or SROs. Um, this actually really opened my eyes since he said that he had a very good relationship with his school resource officer. So the SRO was actually helping with um, several school activities, um, was really interacting with students, and I thought it was building a really good relationship between the students and law enforcement. Yeah. So Collaboration, I, sounds like, working right, together. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. Definitely getting everybody involved. So. Yeah, both of those students talked about definitely having more collaboration with teachers, having more collaboration with SROs that they're available. And I think that that is one of one of the first steps to improve school safety. Outstanding. Well, um, Alan Liu, thank Great you point. so much for being my guest today. We're not going to uh, keep you from class any longer. Thank your teachers for excusing you so that you could speak with us today and share a, a student perspective. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you so much, Dr. Peggy. And we're going Take to... Care, uh, Alan. We're going to go to a break, and we'll be back with Michael Yorio. He'll be with us for this last segment, talking about best practices in school safety. Stay with us. We'll be back.
schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do-something-different-for-a-change personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com retreat. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Peg. And we were speaking with a high school student, Alan Liu, and he said we need to uh, get some adults involved collaborating with students for school safety. And I've got also Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. And we're going to talk about best practices in school safety. If you'd like to connect with Michael Yorio or share this interview with a friend, you can go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. If you'd like to join the conversation or ask Michael Yorio a question about school safety, you can call us now at 303-477-5600. And welcome back, Michael. Thanks again for being with me the whole hour. Hey, Dr. Mm Pegg. All right, well, let's talk about uh, specific best practices and even what role states can play in setting guidelines for school safety. Uh, There was a recent um, call for action that was released. It was a proposal uh, regarding violence in schools and based on a lot of research um, uh, uh, from uh, uh, universities and um, researchers across the country. And they talked about taking a um, public um, health uh, approach to school safety. Uh, the, and Dr. Dewey Cornell is one of the uh, authors of this uh, call for action. He stated that prevention has to start long before a gunman is in the parking lot. And it really does require a, a, a three-tiered public health approach Uh, And the first tier is um, improving the school climate so all children can succeed at school. We've talked a little bit about that already, social, emotional learning and bullying prevention uh, education. Uh, He also talked about uh, second tier, which is helping troubled young people who are at risk before they start down a pathway toward violence. Um, And he talked about um, putting counselors and psychologists in a school that gives you the potential to prevent shootings in any building anywhere in your community because you're catching students before they move down that path to violence. And then the third tier that they recommended was uh, threat assessment and threat assessment teams in every school. And so that's really um, best practices in in general in 
um, uh, school safety. Um, talk about what uh, SSI Guardian is doing in regards to best practices and, and what, what those best practices are. I want to uh, actually first start with lockdown drills uh, in schools. Um, uh, Alan Liu mentioned that, that they've had lockdown drills at their school and even an actual lockdown. What would be best practices there and, and what are we looking for in terms of guidelines and school safety? Most schools at this stage, uh, I would say, do practice lockdown drills, at least publicly they state that. Um, but like with anything, there, there is a right way and a not-so-right way to, to practice a lockdown. Uh, proper protocol requires to obviously you want to lock the door. And now that sounds simple, but then the question becomes, and for some schools the challenge becomes, do you have the right classroom lockdown device? Um, some schools, and we, we know in Parkland, uh, and this is open source, folks can look at it, it was on CNN, that the classroom doors did not lock from the inside. Wow. So therefore, effectively, if your classroom door does not lock from the inside, you cannot conduct a proper lockdown. The last place you want to be in, in a shooting event is in that hallway trying to lock a door and get back into the classroom. Um, so that was an equipment uh, failure, if you will. Um, that high school is not alone. I, I assure you there are uh, many schools throughout the United States that uh, are in that same situation. So it's about having the right equipment in addition to the proper protocol. So locking the door, dropping the lockdown shade. Um, also another reference to Parkland. Uh, the shooter in one particular classroom shot through the cl classroom door window hmm never set foot into that particular classroom and took innocent lives. So that's very, very important. Again, a lot of schools um, ignore that or over, I don't want to say ignore, but overlook that. Mm -hmm. um, now, what the lockdown shade does is it, it locks out that window. So you have full concealment. So think about this. If every classroom in that school is locked down with an effective lockdown device, all the classroom door windows uh, have been covered. Now the shooter is kind of playing a guessing game and everybody's quiet. So I'm kind of bouncing around, but back to the original question, protocol, lock the door, drop the shade, turn out the lights. You want to hide away from that door. Uh, we, we know through interviewing some school uh, shooting survivors that um, attackers very often try to shoot through that door. Mm -hmm. You want to be as far away from that door as possible. You want to do these things. You want to turn off the lights, as I mentioned. Obviously, somebody called 911. Remain quiet. And part of being quiet, and this is a big one, that will only come through training and practice, silence your cell phone. Mm -hmm. I can tell you it's not a natural, just like it's not natural perhaps, to come out with your hands up and not holding your phone when, when a lot of folks are tethered to their phones 24-7, it's not a natural, inherent reaction to silence your cell phone during a crisis. As you mentioned, in Parkland, students were calling their parents uh, to, to give them updates to let them know that they were okay. Um, other students were taking pictures, videos, putting themselves um, in harm's way. So you want to make sure you have, these are some of the proper protocol established for a successful, safe classroom lockdown. Right. And you're, so you're saying, Michael, that without proper training, you wouldn't know, number one, to do these things, and you wouldn't recognize the importance of also practicing what you learn. It's not enough just to receive training, but then we have to also 
practice that training. That's right. Anyone who's a, who is successful and they're given uh, tradecraft, if you will, uh, it doesn't come from doing it once. Um, the Super Bowl winning quarterback uh, does not win the Super Bowl by just showing up that day. Um, and in their case, that's a lifetime of practice uh, behind them. So, yes, you're absolutely correct, Dr. Peggy. It's not enough just to you can go through the best training in the world, um, but you need to practice that training or that knowledge. Otherwise, it becomes lost. What do right. they say with language? If you don't practice a uh, second language that you learned along the way, you're going to lose it. Right. Well, and so let's talk about in terms of practicing. So um, uh, schools and school personnel can take training from SSI Guardian, but when they go back, they take that training back to their schools to practice it. Talk about mm -hmm. um, best practices in terms of realistic simulations. We see a lot of um, media coverage of, of these drills where they're simulating gunshots, uh, police show up with weapons, sometimes even, you know, blood and, and gore, and they can be very realistic. Talk about um, the, the value of that, and especially um, is that a best practice for young children at school? The benefits of that training uh, for law enforcement is, yes, it's, it's great benefit to law enforcement. Uh, for teachers and for students, there's absolutely no value. Um, for young students, it can be traumatizing. Even for adults, it can be uh, very traumatizing. And we know this through studies. Um, there, there were liability suits out there where unannounced active shooter drills took place that were live simulations. Uh, people didn't know what to expect. They were afraid. Um, one case in Oregon with a teacher, it's been three years already, that um, she has not been able to return to the classroom because she was traumatized resulting from one of these drills. So it, it is not a best practice. Um, there is no, it's just like fire drills. We, we don't bring in smoke bombs and fake flames uh, to make it realistic. Um, a siren goes off and everybody calmly Mm-hmm. That's, so that's a, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. So what we, we can really conduct them similarly to fire drills, but we, we unlike fire drills, we really have to um, ensure that students, faculty, staff, that everyone in the building is taking it seriously. Because I can tell you from my own experience teaching college that um, I've seen some of my colleagues turn out the lights, close the door, and keep on teaching their class because they didn't want to evacuate for the fire drill. So we want to make wow. sure we don't become complacent, um, but we don't have to make it this, um, you know, Hollywood production either and, and make it very realistic. We can do it very matter-of-factly so that we're practicing the evacuation routes, et cetera, uh, without all the, all the uh, flashing, flashing lights, so to speak. That's right. And within a district, there are multiple plans. You're going to have your district-wide plan. You're going to have your school plan for that particular facility. And then within the classroom, the classroom teacher will have their own plan for their classroom. No two classrooms are identical, and they have different nuances, including um, the, the, the students in that class can, can greatly impact that plan. So it doesn't have to be scary, nor should it be scary. It should be, to your point, very calm. It should be done on a regular basis. It should be taken seriously. Um, so it doesn't become a burden. It becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we teach in our training uh, for, for the teacher, every day when you go in every morning, do a quick 30, 40 second mental inventory of what's going on in the classroom. Uh, if there are no changes and it's an ordinary situation that day, you're going to stick to your 
original plan. If something is, is out of line or there, there's a specific incident uh, or situation that day, then you need to adjust your plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, practice it truly becomes second nature. And the benefit of that is, God forbid, uh, if your school has an active shooter incident or some other form of terrorism, that through practice, uh, hopefully, folks will remain calm, stick to their plan, and give themselves the greatest chance of survival. Mm-hmm. And so also what you're, what you're describing applies in the workplace. Uh, it would be slightly modified for a school environment working with children, but some of these general principles that you're t- discussing about locking down, turning off cell phones, and mental imaging, situational awareness, that applies for all of us wherever we may be, doesn't it? Without question, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's talk about um, the the other part of uh, what we hear a lot about in, in addition to the lockdown is run, hide, fight. And the, the lockdown is is uh, probably similar to what we would call hide, right? We're, we're locking the door, pulling down the lockdown shade, silencing our phone, uh, hiding right. um, so that we can't mm-hmm. be seen or that we're taking cover and, and if bullets are... are uh, flying that we won't get hit, but talk about the um, the the run and the fight part of that equation. Um, what what are best practices for running? Is, is it willy nilly running? You know, is it evacuating with with uh, a plan in mind and uh, the fight part of that equation as well? So it's important for the, the teacher and any school staff member is to understand their available options. So really being empowered with options and then selecting the most appropriate and best option at that point in time. Um, If you have the opportunity to evacuate or to run, then you want to take that opportunity to evacuate a danger zone. Um, Now, in many cases, you don't know for sure if you have a clear path. So in some cases, it's it's a difficult call. Um, You cannot always evacuate. Therefore, locking down or hiding in most cases, is going to be your most prevalent option to exercise. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the fight component, um, it's unrealistic to expect unarmed students to take on an armed attacker. Uh, the same would hold true of, of teachers. Um, the, the bad guy always has the advantage. He has the element of surprise on his side or her side. So from the jump, they have that advantage, and people are nervous and panicked, and they have their plan. These things are well thought out in advance. We, we know this from research. It's very unusual that somebody just snaps and they just show up with a weapon. These things are planned out. So it's, it's unrealistic, uh, quite honestly, as they say you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Um, you're not going to bring a uh, bag of rocks or a can of soup or a miniature baseball bat uh, to a gunfight. And those are examples. We've seen some things in the media. We talked earlier on the show about theories and ideas on how to prepare for an active shooter incident. As an adult, that's an adult decision. If you are face-to-face with an armed attacker, um, then you're going to do what your instincts tell you to do. And in some cases, that may be to fight. Um, but that's an adult action. We do not um, teach teachers or especially to students never how to take on an armed attacker. Uh, and typically when I say face-to-face, it, it would be highly unusual that you're going to be standing face-to-face with an attacker in a verbal 
um, dialogue that you even have the opportunity to take action. Again, they have distance. They mm-hmm. are coming in with a mission to cause maximum damage, minimal amount of time. They have a plan, a weapon, and many times um, more than one weapon, and, and they are coming in where you, you, you are caught off guard and you are at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I've seen some videos where you wait for the attacker to walk through the door, and then we're going to hit them with a fire extinguisher and a chair, I'm saying that couldn't happen, but chances are it's probably not realistic. Right, right. Well, there are, in addition to active shooting attacks at a school, there are other types of critical incidents that can occur uh, that would end, you know, that would result in um, hemorrhaging and and, um, blood loss. So I want you to talk about two things as we're wrapping it up. We're approaching the end of the show. Uh, One would be other types of critical incidents, and then lastly, what role... Or is there a role for the states to play in establishing best practice guidelines for schools to follow, and would that make a difference in school safety? So two, two questions, critical incident and kind of the role of states with guidelines. Other critical in- incidents could be weather-related. So whether it's a fire, uh, you know, a, a wildfire, whether it's a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake, something like that, lives are still at risk. Uh, it's a panic situation. Now, the threat is not an armed attacker, but something else. Uh, another critical incident could be terrorism, which is more akin to an active shooter, uh, probably uh, more severe, uh, very strong likelihood there will be more than one assailant. So th- those are other things. Again, school security is complex and challenging. You have to prepare for external and internal threats. of school shootings are committed by students. However, as we saw with Parkland, uh, he he was a former student a few months removed, but nonetheless a former student. Mm -hmm. Sandy Hook, not an existing student. So we have to prepare for all threats, which which makes it more challenging. Um, The second part of your question, what role do states play? States play an absolutely critical role in fixing this problem. States have a lot of authority to do things. The the most important thing I feel that a state can do is to provide, to first establish and then provide best practice guidelines to the schools. Schools are not security professionals. They are doing their best. They want to keep kids safe. But when they're given broad guidance, such as you must have door locks, okay, I bought a door lock. It didn't lock from the inside. You didn't ask me to have it locked from the inside, just as a quick example. Mm-hmm. Well, outstanding. Um, Michael Yorio, you've provided so much uh, valuable information, as you always do. We appreciate you being able to come back on the show. Uh, Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. You can reach him at ssiguardian.com or through my website site, drpegradio.com. Michael, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. Stay safe. Thank you. And listeners, you can tune in every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain on KLZ 560 and online at drpegradio.com. My guest was Michael Yorio. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.